0: Good morning. Please pray with me. Father, on the eve of the new year before us, we pause and reflect on the joyful reality that You, our Creator, chose to reveal Yourself to us, love and be in relationship with us, and ultimately redeem us through Your Son, Jesus Christ. May we deepen our relationship with You in the coming year through Your Word, through worship and thanksgiving, through prayer, through fellowship, and through communion. May we continually remind ourselves of the truth and depth of the gospel, that we might respond in gratitude to humbly and boldly serve in your kingdom. Bless us as we seek to love you and our neighbor well. Father, we are so thankful that we can come to you with any and all our requests and concerns. Bless John and Molly Stone and their entire family as they mourn the loss of John's father, Lee. Comfort them in this time of grief. May they feel your presence in their midst and look forward to the time when there will be no more sorrow but only joy. Be with Bill and Cindy Hay and Mike and Sandy Witten as Bill and Mike continue to suffer with cancer. We pray for effective treatment and relief of discomfort and any side effects from treatments. Give them strength and comfort in knowing that you are with them. Bless Ursula Makowski as she struggles with a significant health condition. We pray for effective treatment and for Ursula to feel your hand at work in her life. We are thankful for all those engaged on mission throughout your kingdom, Father. This morning, we ask that you bless Brad and Augie Baker as they prayerfully serve in Hungary by engaging in the culture, making disciples, growing leaders, and forming churches. We thank you for the life of Eliza Jordan baptized this morning. Now we ask that you be with and bless her grandfather and our brother Robbie as he teaches us. Give us all soft hearts and clear minds to embrace what you would have us learn today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Well,
1: happy almost New Year! Here as we move into the year 2024, you wake up tomorrow morning to be 2024. Uh, one of our goals for this coming year is to grow in wisdom together. You may not have heard that yet, but here it is announced uh, in our adult science school classes beginning next week. You're going to hear a lot of talk about wisdom. And so, one of our pastoral hopeful goals is to grow in wisdom together in the year 2024. Uh, wisdom isn't knowing what's true or what's right. It's knowing what to do in light of what is true and what is right. Wisdom is knowing what to do, how to do it, and why. Wisdom is practical living in light of reality. For instance, tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and it'll be the year 2024. If you think it's the year 1984, uh, you're going to be confused. If you live like it's the year 1984, people are going to think that you're foolish. It won't be 1984, it'll be the year 2024. So to think about practical wisdom for people like you and me, it's actually not enough to think about what will I do in a situation? How will I do it and why will I do it? Actually, for Christians... We have to think about when we are alive as well. But that's a complicated picture in the Bible, when we are alive. Let me explain that just real briefly. Jesus has come as the king of the world. He was the long-promised king, and he's already come and arrived. And when he began to teach at the very beginning of his ministry, he said in very direct ways and in lots of parables, The kingdom of God is already here. And in lots of ways, he said, I know it doesn't look the way you thought it was going to look. So Jesus was constantly demonstrating and saying that the kingdom of God had already arrived. And then he told lots of parables to explain that the kingdom of God, though it was different than God's people expected, it was going to grow like it started small, like a mustard seed, but then it grew into a very, very large plant. It was imperceptibly small like yeast, but then it would grow through and spread through the whole batch of dough. And so if you think about when you live, Christians, people like you and me have to say, we live after the king has already come and his kingdom is already inaugurated. We also have to say, we live during the time where the kingdom of God is expanding and growing and spreading through all things. But there's a whole nother set of parables that Jesus taught about the return of the king. So when you and I think about practical living, what to do, how to do it, and why to do it, we have to think like people who know that the king will return. And a lot of Jesus' parables are wisdom parables that tell people like you and me, wise people steward everything in light of the day that the king returns. When I think about my finances, if I'm not stewarding them in light of the fact that the king will return one day... I'm actually stewarding them in quite foolish ways. I might be very successful in this present age, but if I'm not stewarding my time, my treasures, and my talents in light of the return of the king, Jesus would look at us and say, I'm afraid that's folly. If I have a really good plan for the next three quarters and the next decade... In the next three decades, and the next three generations, Jesus will look at us and say, that's way too short-term of thinking. God's people learn what to do, how to do, and why to do it, but we do it in light of eternity. We do it in light of the return of the king. Today's passage is going to help us think a little bit about wisdom today from Matthew 2. We're going to meet some wise men, not kings uh, from the east, but some wise men sent by a king probably. But I want to say this before we look at the passage. Wise people, all through scripture, wise people see themselves as needing wisdom. The wise are those that are hungry for wisdom. And they always want more. And they're never arrogant or proud. Rather, they're hungry. Hungry for more wisdom. We're going to meet in our passage uh, some people that were hungry to meet the king... Someone who was really powerful, who was resistant to the king, and some religious people who were indifferent to the king, and we'll learn wisdom from seeing all of them. So let's turn to our passage now. It's Matthew 2, 1 through 12. You might want to remember very recently, we were in the book of Numbers, and there was a guy named Balaam who was hired to curse God's people, and in one of his oracles, he said, I see him, but not now. I Behold him, but not near. And then he said something remarkable. Uh, a star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will arise from Israel. Balaam, the pagan from the east, saw a star, a symbol of a royal figure in the distant future. Keep that in mind as we read Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Now, there's more wise men coming from the east. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king... Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all their chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet and being warned warned in a dream not to return to Herod they departed to their own country by another way all flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of the field the grass withers the flower fades but the word of our God stands forever O oh, Father in heaven would you give us hearts that seek wisdom in Christ Jesus humble us before him teach us to bow before him Draw us to him in the power of the Spirit and in your word again and again and again. Give us wise hearts, humble, awestruck hearts at your glory in Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray, amen. First I want to begin with the wise pursuit we see here of these wise men from the east. Then we're going to see the wisest posture possible for humankind and finally wisdom personified. First of all, look at this wise pursuit. This will teach us where to look for wisdom. The, the, there are these magi. These are royal astrologers from the east. Now there's lots of debates about where they came from. It's not really important to name the country they came from to Matthew. That's not his focus. They may have come from Persia, some say. I think, like some others, uh, they probably came from Babylon. Uh, it's, but it's not really Matthew's point. He doesn't name where they came from, but he does tell us that these are wise men who came from the East. And why do they come from, these, from the East? These, these ancient astrologers who lived in royal places, who believed in all kinds of gods and all kinds of things, they saw some kind of very unique astrological feature, a star to them, rising in the East, And then they followed the star uh, to the royal city, Jerusalem, because, and this is why I think they were Babylonians, um, I think they were aware of the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, They were astrologers. They were looking for signs. This happened a lot in the ancient world. But it seems like they were tuned in when they saw this star. There was some ancient text that they'd been reading. Some ancient text told them that when they saw a particular kind of star, uh, they should go and meet the king of the Jews. And I, I think it's very possible that ancient text they were looking at was Numbers 24. Uh, when Balaam, a magi, a, a, a wise man from the east, prophesied thousands of years earlier that there's a star would rise out of Jacob, a scepter, would come out of Israel. I think it's very possible that Babylonian astrologers knew that text because God's people had been exiled to Babylon, and I think these were the kind of people that read all kinds of of texts like that and looked for all kinds of signs. In the ancient world, people looked to the sky to to see what was coming next. Uh, it, just a few decades later, uh, Nero, there was a big uh, a, a comet that was in the sky over Rome for several days. You know what Nero did? He knew that that comet portended the death of somebody important, so he went and got a a few of the noblemen of Rome and put a few of them to death so it would be their death and not his. Because ancient people believed that when you looked in the sky and you saw stars, uh, God was telling you something. And these wise men from the east, very much like Balaam himself, saw a star rising in the east and followed it to Jerusalem and They went to Jerusalem because it was the royal city. So here's what's interesting. Look at God's voluntary humility and his condescending kindness in leading these pagan astrologers, something he forbade, astrology. He uses that. They were looking for signs in the heavens and God uses that to lead these wise men from the east to the birth of his son. And that... Sets up a profound contrast in our passage. These wise men from the east, they're looking at a star rising, they follow it, and they go to the royal city. When they get to the royal city, they go and they talk to the current king of Israel, and that's Herod. Uh, Herod is often called Herod the Great. There's a few Herod's in the New Testament, it gets confusing. Uh, This is the the oldest one uh, in the New Testament. This is Herod the Great. He's gonna die just in a couple of years. He was great at killing his own wives and his own sons. He built a really impressive temple in Jerusalem and people thought really highly of him because he was very pragmatic. Some people saw Herod as profoundly wise. He was really good at getting things done. He got the temple built. He got the Romans off their backs in certain ways. He put a couple wives to death and a few sons to death. He was very effective. He was great at threats and violence and political intrigue. And so they were, he was often referred to as Herod the Great. And what's interesting is when these wise men from the east who followed a star and have come to worship the king of the Jews, the current king, Herod, who is a descendant of Esau, His only reason to show interest is because of his own political leanings. That's the only interest he has. It's interesting. He's the leader of God's people, but he has to summon the Bible teachers to tell him where the king is supposed to be born. He doesn't know what the Lord had said through Micah. And so he brings together the scribes and uh, the chief priests. Now, those are the exact people that God had said should teach His people, what his word says. And so Herod gets them together and says, hey, where is the king supposed to be born? There's some, there's these guys from out of town. Uh, They followed some kind of star here and they're looking for the king of the Jews. And that would have made Herod very nervous. It did, it disturbed him greatly. And then it disturbed the whole city because it disturbed the narcissistic egomaniac Herod. And so the Bible teachers are able to quote Micah 5 verse 2 and the, the, the chief priests who are supposed to know the, the scriptures and the scribes, the ones who are supposed to know and together teach God's people, they know what Yahweh said through Micah. They know the king is to be born in Bethlehem. So Herod now now knows and the religious leaders of Jerusalem know. And Herod goes and tells, he gets the wise men back in, he tells them oh the answer is Bethlehem that's the, that's the answer to your question uh, he's not born here in the royal city of Jerusalem he's going to be born in the city of David over in Bethlehem and then Herod says why don't y'all go over there y'all go over to Bethlehem and and check everything out come back and tell me because I also want to worship him which of course we know was a terrible lie Herod had no interest in worshiping this king that might take his place and in the next story that we're not reading today Many young boys are put to death because Herod just wants to snuff him out. And I think this is a very interesting passage. There's a narcissistic egomaniac who loves political power. He has no interest in the true king. He just want to hold on to his power. He'll do anything to hold on to his power, even put little babies to death and then there's religious people who know the scriptures and what is their response to wise men have followed a star to the royal city and they know what the bible says oh the kings will be born in bethlehem and they don't do a thing the political leader is going to do the violent thing and the religious people who know the truth don't act upon it at all who's seeking wisdom in this passage what an irony. It's the foreigners, it's the pagans who are following the signs. and But the signs aren't enough. Even God's providential sign of sending a star from where they lived to, to where Jesus was born wasn't enough and the star will keep guiding them. They still had to go and find out what the scripture said. And the very people who told them what the scripture said then sat on their hands. The religious people are indifferent. Are indifferent. The political leader is ruthless, but the pagans are interested and they wanna go see the king born over God's people. We're gonna be focused on seeking wisdom this year and one thing we're gonna see and it'll be in our first lesson next Sunday is that wisdom for God's people is both a gift, you can ask for it and God will give it to you. But it's also a task. If you want to grow in wisdom, you should seek it like gold and silver. You, you should... See, I don't know what you put on your Christmas list this past year. I don't know what you really hoped that someone would give you, and they missed every hint your husband did. I don't know what it was that you really wanted for Christmas that you really sought after. You thought, oh, that would make this Christmas great if I got X. The Bible says seek wisdom like that. Whatever you seek, seek wisdom. Make sure you understand whose world you're living in, who has the sovereign plan for all things, and live in submission to him. Live in reverence and in awe. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. Of wisdom, whatever you seek, seek wisdom. Seek it like gold and silver, like frankincense and myrrh. Whatever you seek, seek wisdom. But don't forget that wisdom is a gift, and God gives it. He gives it generously, without finding fault. We'll see that next Sunday in our adult Sunday school classes. But I want you to see not just this wise pursuit, this ironic wise pursuit, the the. Hagans seeking to come in the presence of the true king versus the political leader who ruthlessly wants to keep him at bay and the religious people who are indifferent. They know what the scriptures say, but it's not impacting how they live. And what you see next, the wisest posture, this'll tell us how to live so herod summons the wise men you know he he finds out what time the star appeared that's going to lead to a murderous scene we won't cover today he sent them saying go search diligently for the child when you find him bring me word i want to worship him too Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. I think verse 9 is important. People have tried to figure out in in history which astrological uh, event happened here. I think this is a very miraculous star. I I don't think we need to find which comet or which constellation. You know, that's it. No, this is something very miraculous that's happening here. God is at work directing the affairs of men according to his own promises and his own plan. And look what it leads to in verse 10. When they saw the star, the wise men from the east, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. There it is again. The heavens are on our side. God will lead us to his king. Verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him there it is that's the wisest posture these pagans following a star God's miraculous providence they're brought into the presence of the king and they fall down and worship him that's the posture of wisdom you bow down before that which is most true and most real you can't be practically wise if you don't tune into reality if i preach a 50-minute sermon with this many children and babies in the room that's unwise (laughs) wisdom is living practically in light of reality there's no greater reality than god sending his own son into the world There's no greater reality than God Himself, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's no sturdier reality than what God has planned and what God has promised and what God has said and what God will surely do. And a wise person tunes into who God is, what He says, and watches His plan unfold. Will we be like Herod? I'll keep control of my life, I'll do it on my terms. I'll follow my own ways, I'll win. Will we be like the religious people who knew what God said, but it didn't impact anything that they did? They sat on their knowledge and talked about it. Or will we be maybe like these other models, the pagan outsiders who followed who tuned into what god was doing and when they were brought in the presence of the son they got on their knees and worshiped him i love this description of presbyterianism here did you see it there in verse 10 they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy sounds like a lot of presbyterians doesn't it you know it's funny if we brought someone from a different culture subculture into our culture and they weren't good at time management we would be like you know what you really should work on that. We've we, we kind of figured that out and we can help you. And if someone from another subculture came into our subculture and they weren't really good at financial management, we were like, you know what? We can help you with that. You know, we, we, we can help you with, with, with financial management. We, we, we've got that in spades. Let us help you with that. We'll, we'll teach you how to do that. I wonder if our subculture can learn from other subcultures the gift of exuberant worship. We're a very cerebral people and that's good. We're a very focused people and that's good. But it's also good there's many examples in the scriptures of God's people pouring them out, themselves out in joy and praise because Jesus is worth it. And so the wisest posture would be to rejoice with great joy and to fall on our knees and worship. Well, here this is as we study wisdom going into this year. It's in Proverbs. We'll look at it in about the third week of our study together. Above all else, guard your heart. Do you want to be wise? Pay very, very close attention to your chief delight. What gets you out of your seat? What lights you up? What gets you talking I was with a family a couple of years ago, and uh, I typically can get people talking. And I was was around a family at a special event, and there was was a dad involved in this ceremony I was involved in, and I could not get three words out of him. And then I finally asked him about his favorite avocation, and he talked for the next 45 minutes. He talked and just kind of rubbed his hands. And just never stop talking. I found the thing he loved to talk about. Above all else, pay very close attention to your heart. What do you love? What's setting the direction of your life, of your steps? You can't be practically wise if you're in love with things that don't, that are good but not the greatest. That matter for a short while, but don't matter for forever. Who can be wise? Finally, wants to see wisdom personified. Why we should live for this king? The political leader Herod is exposed for who he is: violent, narcissistic, egomaniac. He's ruthless. The religious leaders appear first disinterested, but by the end of Matthew's story, they're crying out in the royal city, crucify him, crucify him, and they're talking about Jesus. But in all of this, God is fulfilling his word. He's fulfilling his promises. What a surprising way, his word in our flesh. I'm not going to read the rest of Matthew 2, but what's amazing about it is that what we see in this early part of the story of Matthew is Jesus reliving the history of Israel. That is, he's living as the substitute of God's covenant people. Do you believe me? What's going to happen next? Uh, uh, his father, a man named Joseph, is going to lead the family through a series of dreams. Does that sound familiar? Through that series of dreams, Jesus is going to be taken to Egypt. Sound familiar? Running from someone, a new pharaoh now named Herod. And then through another dream, he's going to come up out of Egypt, God's son is. And eventually that son, Jesus, will be let pass through the waters and will go out into the wilderness for 40 days. The whole story that Matthew is telling us is that Jesus is wisdom personified And here's what that means for you and me. Here's the heart of wisdom for us. God's promises were so great, only God could fulfill them. And in every way that God's people have failed, myself included, you and me included, God sent his son to do all the things we failed to do to live the life we failed to live. He recapitulated the whole history of Israel. He did it as their substitute and as yours and mine. God sent his son. God's plan of salvation, God's promise of salvation was so great, only God could fulfill it. So God the son became one of us and lived the life we failed to live. At the end of that beautiful, exquisite life of wisdom. Herod was violent, the people were indifferent, but God's son became a weak and vulnerable baby. Lived the whole whole life in vulnerability. And at the end, God's people, the political and religious leaders, got together and said, we will not have a king like him, crucify him, crucify him. And in crucifying God's own son in our flesh, they fulfilled God's great and wise plan. His enemy was defeated and now his salvation will go to every family of the earth. This is wisdom personified. The most vulnerable person in the story is the Lord Jesus Christ. And not just when he's a baby, but to the very end, when he's crucified. But that's the one who's raised again. And being raised again, he's the Lord and King of all. So this year, as we roll into the year 2024, whose voice, whose voice will you tune into above all? 2024 is going to be a nutty year, friends. It's going to be crazy. Crazy. And we're all going to be tempted to lose our minds and to think, this next year, this next election, this next situation, its everything depends on it. No, no, no. Everything depends upon the vulnerable little baby who grew up and lived in our place and died in our place and rose again. And here's a very political statement. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to men. So go disciple the nations. So wise to tune in to a king like him. Let us pray and meet the king at his table. Oh Lord Jesus, how thankful we are that you're the king who lived for us, who died for us, who rose again for our salvation. When we consider who you are and what you've done, we should be filled with soft-hearted humility. Please give it to us. We'll accept wisdom as our task this year, but above all, we need you to give it to us by teaching us to bow before our king, even the king who meets us at his table. In Jesus' name, amen.